I hope you and your family and your friends and your healthy relationship had a delightful Independence Day. Uh, people uh, messaged me, a lot of guys, they finally got the boldness to tell that special girl how they really feel. And what, what better of a time than Independence Day, 4th of July, there's fireworks and popsicles. A perfect atmosphere uh, for feelings and sparks between a lovely lady and a delicious man to date in the will of God, get engaged in the will of God, and marry in the will of God. Well, I got to reading some news. I'm reading the news again, and I have discovered that uh, this week that fireworks were not the only thing exploding and healthy relationships were not the only things where sparks were flying, but there is a organization out there called CERN. I haven't heard of them in a while. They've been on kind of a hiatus for the past few years, but the CERN organization, they're, they're scientists, they're physicists into discovering uh, uh, forces of nature, gravity, all that, atoms, particles, dark matter. That's an interesting subject. But the, they, they like to collide protons. You know, they collide protons to learn more and more about the, the forces that hold the nuclei of atoms together, and they're hoping to discover the origins of the universe by colliding protons. So this past Tuesday, physicists that gathered together at the world's largest atom collider, the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland. It's a 17-mile tunnel that is located 150 feet below the ground. It serves as a testing chamber for studies on high-energy impacts. Hmm. However, some people are rather concerned that making scientific discoveries in this 17-mile-long collider has opened a portal to an alternative universe or even a gateway to hell. It's uh, people that... <laughs> it's, like, it's sort of what happened in the TV series Stranger Things. That's what they're liking it to. You know Stranger Things, that, that TV show, Netflix. Scientists were experimenting on kids with telekinetic powers and a hole was ripped between this world and the upside down <laughs> so so these uh, I'm t- these movies they make nowadays they're so real that people believe they're real and at any moment <laughs> the a portal to the upside down is going to open up and that a uh, sticky hand type substance is going to come merging out and suck you into it <laughs> So, I mean, people are literally afraid of that. There were protests about it. No no more science. No more exploding atoms. You're going to ruin our Earth, right? Well, it's, it's something the scientific community and the, and the leftist way of thinking community are kind of turning on each other in some of these subjects. So, so you know, the Stranger Things uh, deal, you've probably heard the theme song of their recent season that... Uh, that uh, Running Up That Hill song by Kate Bush. If I could, I'd make a deal with God. I'd get him to swap our places. I mean, it's it's on like every IG reel. Be running up that road. Be running up that hill. Be running up that building. <laughs> so, so, um, so anyway, it, it is kind of a catchy song and uh, kind of a neat storyline, all of that. But my thoughts on this as a preacher and teacher and podcaster of God's Word is, you know, colliding particles like this for science, it may help discover some more details about the molecular structure of an atom or a, a proton or a neutron or any of that. But once you discover certain parts of it that you've never seen before, how will it help you discover where or who or why, where it came from or who or what why or created it? No, it's not going to help you discover where it came from. It's just going to end to more endless evolution theories. But hopefully, in doing all of this, a hole in the universe will not be blown wide open. And the upside down emerges and demogorgons and mind flares and Vecna comes into our world. Oh my goodness. So... You know, they dug this big tunnel under the earth using lots of energy and power to uh, send molecular particles down this huge tunnel to make them explode. How's an explosion equal discovery? I mean, I I get it. You know, you you start smashing a house 
like an old house and you may find like old silver or gold gold bars or old guns under the floorboards. That's happened. So smashing things, you can discover what's underneath the surface. I get that. But I don't know. Explosions and chaos don't make things happen. They don't. I've never understood with this Big Bang Theory an explosion created order. It doesn't work that way. There's a lot of holes in the theory of evolution. That's why they call it a theory. theory. You know, I read my Bible and I found out the answers to a lot of these questions. How about instead of going to an explosion or an old 80s song or a TV show and open up your Bible and find the answers to your reality? The reality is, yes, there is. there has been a hole ripped open into our world. It has. And you know what did it? Sin. That's right. Sin. Adam and Eve. Ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said to them, you can eat of every tree in this garden, only not this one tree, because I don't want you to know what it's like to know sin or to know good and evil. Good and evil were not supposed to ever be uh, known to us, how to operate with good and evil present, like hypocrisy, living one way but doing another thing. God never wanted that. That tree was for a specific another reason that was supposed to be foreign to mankind, but because of temptation and the, the lust of the eyes, all of that, good for food, all of that. Man and woman partook of the fruit, and sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, guess what followed it? Ripping right in through the fabric of our universe. Death. What else came? Angels fell. Demons emerged. So, yes, uh, the Stranger Things story is all the way back into Genesis 1. The CERN experiment, it's all the way back into Genesis it's there. Genesis chapters 1, 2, those first few chapters. All of this is there. The CERN experiments, the stranger things. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you could find the the walking up that hill deal. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, kind of. You know, that song says, if I could, I'd make a deal with God. The good news is you can make a deal with God. That's right. That's not really the Bible word. A, a, a better Bible word is covenant covenant or a, a new testament relationship with jesus i don't think you can actually trade places with somebody i don't think you want to do that you want your soul in your own body but you can make a deal with god and that deal is the obeying the glorious gospel the message of jesus christ what you must do to be saved in acts chapter 2 and that is repent of your sins be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins, and you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's how you get the demogorgons out of your world. That's how you <laughs> destroy the demodogs and send the mind flare back into the upside down and set Vecna on fire. That's how you get the evil out of your life. That's how you destroy original sin. That's how you seal yourself up for an eternal destiny in heaven forever, is to Get into this agreement. Make this deal with God. He already did his part on the cross and in the grave and resurrecting and now in heaven. You do your part by obeying what Jesus taught. Obeying what Jesus taught. How to see the kingdom of heaven. Be born of the water and born of the spirit. Baptism, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Forsaking this world and becoming a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is trying to do everything it can with its science and its fictional stories to try to serve as an alternative and a copycat to what is real, really real, that has been written in the Holy Bible so many years ago. I've tasted and I've seen it is good. I'm an eyewitness and a real a person who has experienced this. The realest thing you're ever going to find is what you'll find inside of the Oneness Spirit-Filled Church. You are listening to Justin C. Gleason. Please consider following and keeping this podcast playing in the background of your productive day. Give a five-star rating and support by giving through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. It's 2022, the year we prevail. Jeremy Hoffey is an executive director with the UPCI Music Ministry, worship leader at the Sanctuary, and along with his wife, Barbie Hoffey, the founders of the J. Oscar School of Music. 
Years ago, Brother Hoffey taught me how to play bass, a skill in ministry that still benefits me to this day. If you want to take your music and singing to another level, J. Oscar School of Music is the place to make it happen. Check the show notes for more details. Hello, Brother Hoffey. So nice to talk to you. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, sir. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. You know, people ask me, Justin, when you went to Bible college, did you learn to preach? And I tell them, well, that was my intention. But to my surprise, I went there and learned how to play bass from uh, Brother Hoffey. <laughs> you remember that, right? <laughs> I do. I, I needed a bass player. And I was like, hey, Justin, you want to learn? He's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. At yeah, 2001, I think I was your only bass player. And I, uh, so. I walked in there and you said, uh, you ever heard of the numbers? <laughs> <System>. <laughs> and I think that first week I learned about 15 songs. And by that Sunday, I was uh, playing. You were for ready the, to go. Yeah, we were ready to go. So oh, those are great time. years for music in the church. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, we were the first Bible college, Gateway Bible College, to make music videos, right? As far as I know, I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, we produced a lot of great music, good era for music. Got some videos there with you on the roof and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, Brother Hoffie, you're a phenomenal teacher, uh, really like almost like the old term, a master, uh, a master of students, and you've brought a lot of great music out of people. But also you, you've done choir clinics and you take um, – the worship segment, the altar segment, all the music that happens uh, to another level for a lot of churches and a lot of people. And it's been on my mind a lot lately. Uh, COVID kind of, I don't know, it, 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 people are more comfortable folding their arms and putting their hands in their pockets now during worship service. And it, it's sad. <laughs> and we're yeah. wanting to w- wake it up and uh, a worship team can do that. So that's what's on my mind. So a lot of people you can you can know you can play good, sing good, have great sound and graphics, all of that a great production, but sometimes the audience cannot really feel a connection to that. What mm-hmm. are some ways that you think a worship team can make the audience go from staring to engaging? And how can that worship team, all the productions help keep people's attention upward on and on God and not on ourselves? Well, that's a that's a great question of course and and you are exactly right as far as I do see some of our churches that do a little, you know, lean that way sometimes, which is frustrating because that's that's completely opposite of the goal of a worship set or a worship time. You know, that, that whole time in a service is meant to connect the congregation with God and to connect them with worshiping Him and not just staring at screens and reading words, you know. And I think that's kind of where you're you know, you're going with that and asking that. And I, I definitely have a thought on that. Basically, in my opinion, it's kind of twofold. Um, and I know this might sound, you know, not super deep and pretty obvious, but honestly, it's a lot of it is song choices. Um, to me, song choices is a huge aspect of this because I tell people all the time, <clears throat> you can't choose songs just on stuff that you like I mean, hopefully you, hopefully you do like it, but it's not, you know, if, I, if I'm listening to a song on the radio, you know, going down the road, the car, that doesn't always say it's going to translate to our church because some songs are meant to just be left on the radio and in the car because they don't engage the congregation, if that makes sense. Yeah. So song choices to me are, are one of the most important things to engage our churches in worship. Um, that's not saying don't do new songs, new songs. Definitely not saying that at all. We definitely need new songs, but, um, I'll give you a case in point. Um, my wife and I, there was a song not too long ago that we heard and we're like, Oh my goodness, that's such a good worship song. It's, it's, it's going to go great at our church. We were excited to introduce it. We introduced it. It just went flat. Nothing. They didn't really engage with it. They didn't respond well to it. We were like, well, probably because it's new, we brought it back again. You know, and a couple of weeks later, still not much of a response. It's they just didn't feel that song. Well, we're, we didn't do that song anymore. We're just not going to do that because that's not the goal is to engage our congregation. What is our local congregation and church to church? That is different. Every church is different in what songs really connect them with worshiping God. So not to sing too long on this one subject, but song choices are huge. The second point I'll make about this is your relationship with the congregation. Mm. 
the the praise team's relationship with the congregation. And what I mean by that is, if your worship leader and your praise team and singers are never engaging with the congregation, uh, uh, Tim Pettigo made a statement years ago, I never forgot. He said, worship begins in the parking lot. And, he, yes. and I was like, wow. He's like, when you get out of your car and you're not saying hi to your brother and sister, you're not engaging with them, and then you get up and try to lead them later, good luck. Not happening. Good luck, because you have not <laughs> connected with them. They're not going to want to follow you anywhere because you're not friendly. You know, so some of that's relational and relation, you know, and making sure you you love the people as a leader, you know, connecting with them outside of just the the, the um, platform. So two things I think that really will help and, and they're not super deep and probably people know this, but song choices are huge for me and making sure um, I have a connection and our and not just me, but that praise team and worship leaders are, are the type of people that love the people of that local church and have a relationship with them. Amen. Excellent. Uh, shout out to Sister Hoffy, Sister Barbie yes. Hoffy. We all know she's the real <laughs> boss, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, she, um, I remember, you know, a lot of times she would direct our corral and she yeah. emphasized, I remember her saying, you may think you're worshiping, but to the audience, you're standing still, not doing a thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta uh, exaggerate it. Kind of almost be yeah. bombastic with it. Yeah, you've got to overdo it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we used to have a. You probably remember this. We used to have a statement. We said, um, "You're not as friendly as you think you are." Oh God, yes. And it's so <laughs> true because we think, "Oh, we're we're friendly. We're you know we're this and that." But sometimes it's harder to look at yourself. But anyway. Yeah. Well, they call it worship leading. Leaders take the first step. And uh, smiles, God likes smiles, God likes movement, yep. he likes praise. You know, that's I, know what... this is a different, I know this is a little bit different angle at this, but honestly, too, it's, it's, and I don't know if this is any of your questions coming up, but it's also in preparation and how prepared people are, because mm. the more prepared you are, the more comfortable you are leading. And when you're comfortable leading, people are comfortable following you. Yes. But when you're a nervous wreck, and you don't know what you're doing, and you're all you're doing is you're hoping it's not a train wreck. No, everybody can read that on you, and people don't follow that real well because they're yeah. nervous for you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of difficult to 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 worship when uh, everybody forgets the words. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> or the chords are wrong, or and you can read that in people. I've been in situations where I'm like, I'm nervous for them, you know. So anyway, yeah. that that being prepared, I think, makes a big difference in leading yeah. people. For sure. Yeah. At Pentecost does need to trust the process. Right? Yes. And yes. Look at how King David organized the tabernacle, got everybody around there and organized musicians and singers and, and an order to things. And it took worship mm-hmm. to a totally new level. 100%. Yeah. That's how you do yes. it. Yeah. And any church can do that. And 100%. I agree. I think uh, what you're talking about, we did this, I think, uh, the 2003 corral tour we opened up with the old song the waterway mm-hmm. and it was one of the most powerful tours we ever had because we made that connection with people yes so hey maybe <laughs> i mean the, the psalms does say sing a new song play skillfully with a loud noise but uh mm-hmm. <laughs> people right. uh, people like to sing about what they know about that is true I've obs- I, I think it's i think it's crucial to to have new songs but we all know especially those of us that are involved in the worship uh, we all know when we bring a song back in that worship set that's familiar, it just takes them to a deeper level because they know it, they worship to it, they know the words, they're familiar, and we need to have those mixed in. Yeah. For sure. Well, you know, I've been to a lot of churches, and sometimes the worship service, it is so perfect. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know what, I'd just rather watch than worship because it's so good. <laughs> well, you yes. know, well, the services you lead, I mean, sometimes it's just so good. The right. music's going. Yeah. And uh, I tell you what's neat for me to see is a lot of these kids, like a 14-year-old guy gets up there with his little backpack and can make that Hammond B3 talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These, these 18-year-old guys playing bass, and they're like, whoa. Yes. You know. Awesome. And sometimes you want to listen and be blessed. But we need to engage, entertain the presence of the Lord. You know, that's what needs to happen. I was talking to – um, Kevin Howard not too long ago 
and um, really respect him and yeah. love his his vision. And he he's on a mission. I love this. He's on a mission to get our congregations singing again and, right. and get our congregations engaged again, not just the platform singing, but the congregation. You know, back in the day when we had hymnals, you know, congregation really, really sang a lot because they had, they were they were holding hymnals. They were reading the words out of the hymnal. You know, they sang a little bit more. <clears throat> and so he and I were talking about that. He, he'll, he will literally in a service you know, take the microphone and like point it to the congregation as in a way to say, let's sing this together, you know, doing, doing anything he can to get our congregation singing again. So I love that. And I'm trying to do that myself for sure. Yeah. That's engaging. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Well, good. well those are things I, I think that could take any church that wants to take their worship to another level. That'll just make it happen. Mm -hmm. Be prepared, choose the right yep. songs and make it congregational engaging. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the altar call. Um, okay. you know, some altar calls, no music happens. It's just, you know, the Holy ghost is calling just voices, but mm -hmm. more chances than not music. I, I don't know. You just, you know, those Psalms were written in the Bible with music and just mm -hmm. the sound of, of music, um, entertains the presence of the Lord. And what are some things you think that a worship team could do? Having come off the platform for worship, coming back for altar call, the, the, the preachers asked for them, what are some things they can do to, um, you know, t take the altar call, the response to the word uh, to another yeah. level? Because during that time, you're not really wanting people to engage, but rather people to engage right. God. It's yes. not congregational. It's different, right? What are some That's things you're seeing that uh, we can do? It's very true. It is a different aspect because... You kind of want to be, you want to be heard, but not seen almost, you know, um, in those moments. Um, and to be honest, Brother Justin, I mean, the altar call, in my opinion, for a music director, a worship pastor, that's the most critical moment of the entire service. Mm. Amen. It can make or break an entire message. Um, and it can complement so well, and it can derail if we're not careful. So I'm glad you asked this question because it, it's something I definitely, you know, have, have thoughts on, but um, <clears throat> honestly, um, one of my things that I am really passionate about, and I talk to music directors a lot about this is knowing the direction of the pastor's message and what the pastor is wanting to accomplish in that service. If, if a worship team or a worship pastor does not know that, in my opinion, and this may go against some people's uh, belief system, but in my opinion, it's not fair mm. and not actually wise. Because if um, if we want to set ourselves up for success and we want the end of that service to be super effectful or effective, sorry, then I think the worship pastor, the music director needs to know exactly how the pastor wants that service to land how he wants that altar call to be. And in order to do that, we have to know, okay, what, in fact, I, here's my thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying like when I tell uh, brother Bland, of course, I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but um, I don't even think that we have to know like pastors. Um, we don't have to know, need to know the title. We don't have to know the scripture references. We don't have to know all the details. What we really need to know is, what is the overall feel that you want for that altar call? Do you want this a slower, like repentance type of a feel? Mm. Are you wanting to be rejoicing and dancing? You know, that's the overall feel that I'm after that I want to know from the pastor. So <clears throat> anyway, saying all of this, I'm saying in order for that altar call to be really well executed, if I could use that word and go in harmony with the message, you have to know, what the pastor is speaking on, how he wants that altar call to be so that, here's the thing, so that musicians and singers and worship directors are not scrambling throughout the entire sermon and getting nothing from the sermon, I might add, because all they're doing is trying to think about a song that will match. Mm. That's not a good system, in my opinion. It's just not. That's just, that's, that's chaos that doesn't have to be there. Uh, and I've done this a long time, so I, I know what I'm talking about. There, there's a much better way, and I'm getting ready to tell you what that way is. <laughs> okay. Come on. I have one of the best pastors in the world because here's what happens. About every Wednesday or Thursday, sometimes it's Friday if he's, you know, not got completely what he's preaching. But usually 
around Wednesday or Thursday of every week, he will text Barbie and I a text. I'm getting ready to read you one of them. This is just from last week. He sends them every single week. Here, here was last week's. This is from Pastor Bland. Sunday sermon title, Water Everywhere, Keep Marching. The idea is when God parted the Jordan River for the children of Israel to march into their promised land, the priest had to go carry the ark and march until their feet touched the water. Uh, the altar call should be that of authority, a made-up mind, committed to grab a hold of the power of God and keep marching right into the obstacle. If we grab a hold of the power and keep marching, God will part the water, remove the obstacles, and we will see victory. I'm thinking not slow, but but doesn't have to be fast either. That was his text to me. Mm. I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. We worked through that, and of course, it doesn't hurt that Pastor Bland was a worship leader for many years, so he kind of gets this. Oh yes. Um, but I'm, I, that sets everything up for us to know. The altar call is paramount. And we have two or three days to develop, think, pray, get a song together for that altar call to be um, the perfect moment for God's presence to fall and for pastor to preach and for it to go in seg and segue right into the altar. But I mean, I'm just telling you, here's another one. Here's I just pulled up another one in the last text. I won't go any further than this. I'll just, he said the title is, As I Was, So I Will Be. This sermon will talk about the children of Israel getting ready to go and oh wait, wait wait i just read that one sorry um no no it's a different one going to the promised land everything had changed or was getting ready to change but god said i was with moses so i will be with you god is the stabilizer the constant he said but the appeal will be for people to make great commitments to move to let go of things they have depended on to do what God has called them to do, to let go of everything but his presence. I am praying for a deep, life-altering commitments from people who have been around for quite some time. Um, so anyway, that was another one in his text. So mm. it gives us a very clear picture of what he's feeling. He trusts us with this. Um, and I know every pastor that's going to hear this podcast is going to go, oh, great. Wish he wouldn't have said that. Now they're going to want me to do this every week. But I'm just being honest. It's an amazing help to us. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and and here's my thought on this, and not to go too far and offend anybody, but there shouldn't be there should be a trust factor between a pastor and a worship director. They can share what they're preaching on. Absolutely. Sunday. There's no secret there. They should be able to share exactly what their message is going to be. And, and I think that's times have changed. There was a day where for some reason that was more secretive type of thing, but I don't think that's the case anymore. Mm -hmm. But anyway, to answer all the questions that you asked way back when we asked this question, this is the piece that to me is missing in many of our churches and our worship programs is they've got to have a relationship with their pastor that these kinds of texts and emails can happen through the week so they can be ready for that critical moment of altar service. Well, how else are people supposed to be in one mind and one accord? Absolutely. We can't guess people's thoughts. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Now, sometimes so the Holy Ghost. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. What was you saying? I was going to say, sometimes the Holy Ghost knows what it wants and it'll wait until everybody's together to tell everybody right. what it wants. And pastor, worship leader, band leader, sound, mm -hmm. congregation, we'll all know what God wants and we all do it. Yeah. But for the most part, I think God's up there saying, make a good plan for me. Yes. Put yes. a good process and a good system, a good order for me. Yeah. Right? And I, I, I kind of, you know, the, the, the um, I don't know what you'd say, but basically there is a mindset that's probably out there that says, oh, we, we, we don't want to prepare that far ahead. We want to wait and just let God tell us what to do in the moment. And that can happen. And we could, we've many times changed. Pastor maybe went a little bit different direction and we changed that song. But I'm going to try to be prepared for that. Absolutely. And the Holy Ghost will help you. To shift Absolutely. gears, and, yes, and it's always Perfect. nice, but you got to wait on God. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so but you know what? Your dad, in fact, has a statement that I absolutely love. I've wrote it down in my phone. I I say it many times. I love what he says, and I'm I'm paraphrasing. I'll probably butcher it, but he says something like, "Work like it all depends on you, but pray like it all depends on God." Mm. And I love that. I've never forgotten oh, that's good. that. That's, that's good. your dad. <laughs> so, and I love that because it's so true. Yes. My dad loves you. And I remember when he introduced me to you, I was about 16. It was in the old Gateway uh, Commons area. <laughs> he said, Justin, this is Brother Hoffy. 
And, I still uh, remember it. Yeah, he he said he's going to have Gateway rocking here in a couple <laughs> years. So get ready, you'll be there. <laughs> and it, it came to pass. <laughs> That's so, hilarious. It's awesome. Uh, let's let's talk about a few practical things. Okay. Um. So. I think in most churches, piano player knows what they're doing, bass, drums. Those are the three foundational deals. You've got a couple praise singers. And if they're practicing, have a plan, they can generate it really good. And and sometimes worship, it's not really so much what it looks like, but what it sounds like. Uh-huh. And even I think nowadays with even the not most expensive soundboard, if you really know what you're doing, you can make sound good in any type of building, even like one of those old 1940s, 1950s, upside down Noah Ark. Noah's Ark looking church. (laughs) So let's say you're at a church, you walk up to the soundboard. What are a few things that you're looking for and what you want to do to make not so much a choir, but just a praise team? Four or Mm -hmm. five singers, piano, organ, bass, drums, maybe guitar. That's it. What do you do? Well, um, I'm, I mean, I'm not a sound man per se, but I do know enough about it that we, I do work at it with our, with our team at the church. And, I, I look at a couple things, probably. Um, I guess I'll probably two things that I probably see at a lot of places that may um, be out of whack. Typically, is gain structure, hmm. and what I mean by gain structure is many times um, people sometimes will run their faders, you know, and faders are basically the knobs. You know, you turn up and down there on the sliders on yeah. the bottom of the board. Sometimes we'll run their faders pretty low, and they'll run their gain pretty high and so one thing i look at is typically for good sound in, a, in pretty much any setting you want your your slider or your your faders at the bottom to all be at what's called unity which usually most boards will have like a little a little notch for that it says you it'll have like the letter u which means unity which is about three quarters of the way up the slider up the fader so i always look for that many times if those are like all different and like way low on the board Typically, people will have the gain or the trim knob turned away up. So what I typically will look for, and I know this is kind of getting a little technical, but is I will bring the trim or the gain, the overall gain of that channel down, and I will push my fader up to unity. That is just an overall really quick little thing that works and makes the overall sound of the equipment sound better in the room. So that's one little quick thing that can be done very easily. The other thing, the other thing is, and this I see a lot, um, a lot, and especially, especially smaller churches, but I've seen it in larger churches too, is many times, especially um, if you don't use a lot of in-air monitors, especially the singers and things like that, is the platform volume will be really loud. (laughs) Okay. Because we all, churches. We all love the plot. We all love volume. We love it to be loud and good. And so do I. But if the platform volume, I can go into a church, I can go into a service and immediately tell you if, if the platform volume is too loud. And here's why, because in the congregation, if you're out there, you will hear, you will hear volume, but you will hear it in a different way. And what I mean by that is you're hearing volume. And this is what Salman I think some that don't have a really good trained ear for this, this is where they can get fooled. And I want to help them with this is they hear volume. So they assume, Oh, it's good. We've got volume. You know, we can hear things. The problem is it's got like a, almost a, uh, um, a hollow effect because they're getting sound that's rolling off of the platform and they're hearing that and thinking that's coming out of the mains. Hmm. So what happens is in the congregation, it's really a hollow, shallow bouncing off of a sound. It's not, a, it's not the same as direct sound that's in your face that's coming out of the mains. And I know I'm getting kind of into the sound world, but you asked for practical questions. So yeah, there we go. That's good. So, so what's I'm over here adjusting is, my uh, soundboard for this podcast right now. Do <laughs> I actually did. <laughs> so what happens many times is, you know, you just hear volume and you think that it's fine. But what, what you need to do is turn the mains off, turn the mains off for a second, hmm. see how much is coming off of your platform and see how, see how much you're adding in of the mains to get the sound that you currently have. What I, what I, what usually surprises people is like, wow, 
it's mostly all monitors that's just kind of uh, hitting the back wall and bouncing mm. into the auditorium. And so it's not nearly as good of a sound. It doesn't sound nothing like it sounds like if it's direct out of the mains and it's not coming off the platform. So two things, basically, you just need to bring you need to bring your overall volume of your stage and your platform down a little bit so that you can push up the mains and really the mains or the main speakers what i'm speaking of is is what really will engage the congregation there is no joke uh brother justin this happens this happens this happens at our church we're still working on it because we run our platform fairly hot there are times and you're going to think this is crazy but i think you'll believe me there are times when i can watch the congregation <laughs> There's what I can watch our congregation. I can watch how they engage in worship. And I can almost tell you if the sound man is, is, is adjusting the sound correctly that Sunday, meaning is there too much stage just rolling off and he has nothing hardly in the mains because they're almost, I use this phrase, the congregation is and it's almost like reaching for sound. Mm. That makes sense. They're like reaching for it instead of it hitting them. Wow, and it makes. I believe sound, you. <laughs> when the, when the sound hits them, and I don't mean kills them, I don't mean just blow their ears out. I mean when the sound hits them, it connects them like it should. They're engaged differently. The congregation engages differently. They can hear really well. It's in their face. It's not too loud, but it's in their face. They're not reaching for sound and hearing it kind of rolling off the platform. So I know I'm kind of getting on my candy stick here, but it's very important, even in the feel of the worship service that that sound is coming out of those mains and not rolling off the platform. And then you barely put a little bit in the mains. So I, that's the other thing that I really look for when I go to a church soundboard. Absolutely. Probably more than you, more, more than you wanted there, but there you go. Oh, it's good. <laughs> I think some so, people are like, my goodness, we didn't need to spend $250,000 on a new this or that. All <laughs> we had to do was <laughs> drop right. the gain and level out the faders. <laughs> and now we can right. have church. Oh, that's excellent. Well, it's just like a, it's, it's, it's like a hollow sound is the best way to describe it. Uh, and there is volume, but it's just a, it's a strange you talking about? hollow volume. Yeah. Yeah. Just those little, I guess we call them hacks. Yeah. Tweaks. You know? yeah. I learned that uh, on the bass. I think, uh, I think we bought a new bass and I remember you telling me, sh- showing me typically most basses, if you crank down the mids and turn up the mm-hmm. bass and the, and the highs, you can get a good sound out of just about any amp we go to at any church. Yeah. I mean, we run, we still run an amp at our church. It's a smaller amp, but we go direct and we still kind of keep that smaller amp up there just for the bass player to have a little presence there. But, um, and we go within your monitors, of course, but I still like to have a little bit of, uh, you know, and I like stage volume. I really do. I'm very much, we, that's why we're constantly trying to tweak that because I still like the stage volume. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah. Just those little, little things you can do, even with old equipment. You can yeah. really generate a powerful, great sound that everybody in the building can hear, you know? Yeah, and it's a, it's a balance. You know, it's a balance of getting your platform, people that are on the platform, mm-hmm. making them happy, you know, getting it as loud as you can for them to really hear well, and then, but not too loud that you're powering your, your auditorium by your platform. Mm-hmm. That's a little backwards. Yeah, those cymbals <laughs> and harps in the days of David, I mean, it would just create like an energy Yes. In the in the, in Israel, and God would move, then they go to war and win. You know. Yep. And it's, there's something to say. There is something to say about it being, and I don't mean loud and offensive, but I mean not reaching for sound. It needs to be somewhat. And if we're going to be apostolic, that volume needs to be heard. Yes. You know, you know what I'm saying it doesn't need to be like a church mouse like type volume, or just kind of mediocre. It needs to be pretty strong. You know not offensive and if it's eq'd correctly you can have good loud sound and it not hurt your ears at all oh that's good stuff so thank you i want to switch um kind of on a more personal level okay Uh, brother hoffy you've uh just your story of success and blessings is uh it's touched my heart personally and even even though you know you taught me to play bass, but a lot of the principles of music and worship I've carried on to preaching, teaching, and uh, even even in my marriage, my kids, everything. Mm-hmm. And I've just always wondered, you know, before all of this, what was your life like from maybe the age of fifteen to twenty-five? What were things that you mm-hmm. experienced, you saw, you did to prepare yourself to just propel propel yourself, your ministry, to where you're at today? 
Oh man. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that's a great question. Um, you know, my story is pretty crazy. Uh, not a lot of people know it. I think, you know, quite a bit about my background, but, um, probably from the age 15 to 25, if you're asking for that, you yeah. have a stretch in my life. Um, at, at the age of 15, my mother passed and that was my adoptive mother. I was adopted when I was a year old. Mm. And so, um, my adopted mother passed when I was 15 and she raised me in the church. And, um, so my whole world kind of, kind of came to a, a halt there. And, uh, but music was such a big part of my life, especially right around that age of 14 and 15, when I was really, really getting heavily involved in music. Anyway, long story short, you know, I moved in with my pastor when that happened. He kept, he finished raising me till I was 18. But those years of my life, um, um, I just had such a passion for, for music. You know, I, I, I tell people all the time, music and Bible quizzing saved my life. Mm. Those two things in my life were the wow. glue for me. Oh. They wow. did. I'm just telling you, music and Bible quizzing saved my life. Those two things, that was what kept me glued to the church, you know, in those years where you're just all over the place. And I'm, I mean, I, I get emotional thinking about it even now because it's just, I know how powerful those things were for me, but I, I really just poured myself into my music, into practicing. I practiced a ton, way more than I do now. <laughs> I practiced so much. I mean, I would go to the church and just put in hours, and I'm not just saying that. I would literally put in hours because I had such a passion. I remember telling the Lord, I said, God, I, if you'll bless me with abilities and talents, I'll always use them for you. Mm. I will always give them to the church. And um, I'm so thankful that he blessed me. But I, I will say this. I just, I, I fell in love with the church. I fell in love with music. And I just told my pastor at the time, I said, anything you want me to do in the church, I'll do it. Musically, of course, I was willing to play anything and everything, even though I wasn't even that great at the time. Uh, but I was just so passionate, I guess, about being, uh, case in point, you know, I, was, I went to a public high school and um, I just, I had friends in high school, you know, public high school, I had some friends, but they weren't nearly as close as I was to my church friends. And what I say about that is, you know, I wasn't involved with a lot of clubs and stuff at school because I was so involved in music and Bible quizzing at my church. That was my world. And that's really where I preferred to be. So if I could probably encourage anybody or help anybody to today, it would probably be, you know, invest yourself in your church, find um, programs or music or Bible quizzing or anything that you, that you like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. I hope it's okay, but it's sometimes okay. we nobody here but us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sometimes people, sometimes people, you know, make the will of God some kind of mystical thing, and they just think, oh, it's just some huge thing that I'll, I may never know. And, you know, they make it really mm. harder than harder than what it is, in my opinion. And I begin to when I began to find the will of God for my life was. I began to look at what God blessed me to do. What did I do well and what did I like to do? Well, I liked music a lot. Well, I started getting better at it. Well, I started putting two and two together that this may be what God wants me to do because this is what he blessed me to do. This is what he, 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 he said he gives you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he gives you a Ferrari. That means he puts those desires in your heart. So when I began to realize these aren't my desires for music. These are God's desires for music in me and through me. Oh, yes. So when I started seeing that, I was like, man, this is God's will for my life. I've already got this figured out. It wasn't some mystical thing. I started, you know, just using common sense a little bit. <laughs> so anyway, maybe that'll help somebody today that don't try to, too, I mean, I'm not saying don't spiritualize it. Don't pray. I'm just saying, don't make it too much of a mystical thing. Right. Start to look around and say, God, man, you've kind of blessed me in this area. I'm really good at this. Maybe this is what you want me to do. And um, so I don't know, maybe that encouraged somebody, but I just poured my life into what I started to love, which was music. And God began to open doors and doors. And I walked through every one that he opened. And here I am today. So it's crazy. Yes. I pinch myself. I'm like, God, I, there's so many more people more qualified, but I just, I thank him every day that he, he gave me those desires and he, he has fulfilled those in my life. Oh, wow. But, well, I feel the Holy Ghost. God put the desires in you, and 
his will, he didn't so much speak it, but you observed it. So yeah. and it was just obvious there. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, it's good. And, you know, I t- <laughs> when I get up and play bass, I'm still a 19-year-old bass player. I haven't learned anything <laughs> new because <laughs> I don't have time to train. So all those years of training. Right. So, wow. But uh, it was one of those you improved yourself, you bettered yourself, you did something for yourself. And then yeah, uh, it's like Jesus, the parable. He said, don't sit in the high seat, sit in the small seat and wait. Mm-hmm. If you've got it, somebody will say, hey, here, come up higher. Yeah. And Man, that's so good. That's what happened. That's I, I have people that will, you know, email me, you know, they'll email me and say, hey, um, which I mean, I won't say much about this, but they, they'll say, hey, you know, how can I play for such and such conference or how can I get involved in a higher level of, of playing at different events and things like that? You know what I first tell them? I said, make sure you're playing for your local church. Right. Stay, stay consistent. Play for your local church. You know, put your time in. God will elevate that. God will see that. If you start, then then maybe you'll get asked to play for a district function or something like that, you know. But um, it's just, I, I think it's all in our perspective. And, and God will elevate those that he wants to elevate. Awesome. Okay, okay. Brother Hoffie, you're, so you were the, uh, heavily involved in your home church in Heron, Illinois, the Griffins, right? Yes, yes. Uh, and music's still big in that church. It is. <laughs> By the way. It is. So great church. I've been there. Yes. So, but uh, your first opportunity outside of there was to be the music director at Gateway College of Evangelism. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it Brother Tim Dugas that called you for that? Yes. Can you tell me yes, about that? I, yeah, I was... Um, I was about 25, 26 years old. Um, I had started feeling like there was something more for me. There was a transition in my life. I really started feeling that. I told my pastor at the time uh, in Heron, Brother Griffith. And so, you know, he was like, didn't want me to go, but of course he, he was okay with it. He gave me his blessing. So I started to kind of reach out. Um, I had a couple churches that I was looking at going to be a music director. One was in Texas, one was in California. And there was one in Texas that I was pretty, you know, heavily kind of thinking about and long story short um john urshan from centralia illinois mm. was preaching was preaching in st louis for brother dugas and they went out to eat we're talking and brother dugas i guess mentioned to john said yeah we're looking for uh, somebody to come in and take the music at the college and um so john had known that i was kind of looking around at things and he so he gave him my name and brother dugas called me up i think the next day it was like a monday and he said, hey, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about maybe coming up. We're looking for somebody. And long story short, when I went to St. Louis to talk with Brother Dugas and just, man, it just felt right. In fact, I'll be quite honest with you, it was quite a bit less money uh, than these churches had offered me because it was a Bible school that just didn't have any money, you know. Sure. So, but I just felt like it was right. It wasn't even, it was considerably less money. But I just was like, God, this feels right. This feels like mm. what I'm supposed to do. And so I told Brother Dugas, I said, I think this is the thing for me. And I said, let's do it. And um, I was single. I was 26 years old. When I think back, I'm like, Brother Dugas had a lot of trust and faith in me <laughs> to hire me like that. But um, it, was, uh, the, uh, it was the spring of 99, mm. the spring of 1999 is when we did that and I started in the fall of 99 and I was there for 10 years and um, loved every minute of it. Yeah. Well, look at what it propelled, you know, to to be an executive director with UPCI music and now your own school and worship leader there at the very church that brother Dugas pastored. God bless his memory. Now pastor bland. Absolutely. So it just, you never know what God will do with a musician. It's, it's (laughs) Justin, I'm telling you, if you, if you keep the main thing, the main thing, mm. and you don't get self-absorbed, God can really use you. And the key is just not letting it go to your head. And I mean, we all battle that. We all battle pride. We all do. We have to fight it all the time and keep it, you know, out of our lives. But at the same time, just not getting full of ourselves. And music and musicians, I tell people all the time, if the enemy knows anything, he knows us. If he knows anything, he knows musicians. And we have to battle that. We have to battle pride. We have to battle that. And so I tell people all the time, look, better yourselves, work at your craft, and then wait on God. Let him do what he does best. 
because I didn't want I didn't want to make a wrong decision, man. I I don't care for what amount of money. I didn't want to be miserable. I wanted to be in His perfect will. So, and I felt it when when Brother Dugas said that. I said this is the right thing, and and just all those lives I got to be involved with and help shape throughout those ten years. Yes. is a blessing I will never, ever forget. Ever <laughs> Some of those forget. things you just said, I remember you telling me when I was 18 and 19. I remember you telling me, don't ever become a legend in your own mind. Because <laughs> you can spot them pretty quick out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they stand out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easy to pick up on them. Oh, man. Well, well, it's just you don't take yourself too serious, you know. I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't know. I just... Um, it's it's just loving God and loving you. Yeah, of course. And just letting God work in your life. Yeah. It's the way to do it. I, yeah. I can't believe to this day. I, I just I told somebody the other day, I said, I, I thank God every day that he's blessed and, and done what he's done in my life. Because I, I don't have family in this, Brother Justin. Mm. I don't have a heritage of apostolic people in my life, you know, which I'm not disparaging on that. I mean, everybody has different situations in their life. So it's just weird and awesome how God can take someone and just and just do what god Amen. does you know, god does yes well you inspired me a lot you were uh just one of the teachers at, at bible college and you know and i went there for theology but gateway yeah. music really um birthed a hunger and desire for the presence of god to entertain the presence wow. of god and a lot of those things those principles you taught me i carried them with me to uh, here in our local church in Kansas City when I guest speak here on this podcast everywhere. <laughs> your um, your story of how you and Sister Hoffy met and got married also really really motivated <laughs> me and gave me a I don't know just a glimpse of the of the future. All of us young single Bible college kids just to look at you all as a married couple was just such a um a great visual example of a of how apostolics date, how they get engaged and how they get married. And, yeah. uh, I, y'all's story is, is very special. Hey, Justin, there. if I could say one thing about yeah. that, I would say this in my younger years, my early twenties, I tried to make a lot of things happen <laughs> in terms of relationships. I tried to make them happen. And when I took my hands off of it and I said, God, I'm making ah, a mess. Of this. There you go. I'm making a mess of this. <laughs> I'm going to leave my hands off of it. And when you bring the right person to me, I'm going to know it. And and I'm telling you, when I quit trying to make that happen, it's like, wow, God really showed out. <laughs> that's right. Get out of God's way. That's that's how you're going to get married. Get out of God's yes. way. <laughs> well, and it's, it's human nature. We feel like we know best. We feel like we should just try to make all that happen. Right. You know? But and that's it's hard, you, you know, it's human nature to do that. But man, I'm telling you, that's when it really switched for me. Um, and that's when I met my wife. I was like, this is it. This is mm-hmm. it. <laughs> so you taught me a lot there with music, a lot about uh, marriage and relationships. But I tell you what else uh, I learned a lot from you was your dirty looks, Brother Hoffy. I know you're a nice guy, <laughs> but those and I'll, there's two instances you remember. <laughs> We had a, I, I mean, I loved everybody in the crowd. I got along with everybody, but there was one guy in particular in the crowd, no names, please, that, that was, uh, I don't know, a little abstract. And one day yes. I was just in one of my funny moods and you said, where is such and such? And we wanted to work on a song. He was a soloist. And I said, he's probably up in his room oiling himself. <laughs> and in front of God and 40 other people, you looked down and said, Gleason, watch it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and, oh, man. And you know what? I the, lo- the look, the watch it, I realized, Justin, totally inappropriate and totally mean and weird. Right. Do we need that at that moment? And afterwards, you took me aside and explained to me, no way. You can't talk about that way to other people. And I learned... You know, I just learned a um, the value of having respect for other people, and I mean that guy was my friend, but that joke, right? You know, people joke about what they're serious about, and it right. was, and 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 you know what happens? I notice, you know, in other in choir practices, whatever people tend to like, not get serious, mm-hmm. and they they want to talk and goof around and stuff in choir practice, and you can't do that if you want to have great music. Right. You know, you know, do that afterwards. And so right. after that, I shut up and <laughs> and, and watched it. 
So, what's funny is I don't even remember that story. I thought you were going to tell other ones. I don't even remember that one. Oh, I was. I thought you were going to say I give some dirty looks as far as like people playing musicians when oh, they're playing like yeah. wrong notes. Oh, all right, all right. Let's talk about that. So, <laughs> you remember one of our closing songs? I think for two year two tours in a row was Lamar Campbell's "More Than Anything." Uh huh. Yep. That song was in a flat. Yep. And uh, I, I'm one of those bass players. I there's keys that I just know, like E flat, F, C. <laughs> Very good. Can play almost yeah. A flat. I had a difficulty hearing it and feeling it, but so I memorized that song. I mean, you taught me like a like a, like like a, a circus guy teaches a monkey how to bang cymbals, you know. <laughs> you know? And uh, we were playing that song, and I didn't even know this exists. But on pianos, you have the transpose button. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Calvin Jean, brother Jean, do that a lot? He could play anything in F. That trans- he's, he's pretty good at, he's pretty good at the transpose button. <laughs> And I guess our piano player hit the transpose button and A flat became B flat. Oh my. And you know, we're singing, we're swaying, it's the last song. We're about to have a move of God. And I come sliding in, supposed to be on a one B flat, and I come sliding in on a flat seven on A flat. And <laughs> your eyebrows went up. <laughs> you looked at me like Justin Gleason, <laughs> figure it out now. <laughs> I think I do remember that. Oh, Oh, I'm playing the song in A flat. You guys are singing in B flat, and the—I mean—the looks. After about the yeah. seventh look, I just put the bass down and started worshiping and repenting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My wife, she kills me. She's always like, "You have got to quit with those looks," because I mean, everybody's like, and I, even today, to this day, in our church, like if I like say something and talk back or give a look, I'll have to go to our musicians after and say, "Look." I love you guys. I did not mean that personal. I just get fired up in the moment. Woo! You know, in those services. <laughs> you know, Brother Hoffie, ever, anytime you ever did that, I never felt hurt or wounded because I knew you loved me. Good. Well, yeah. I'm glad. I'm and I think glad. everybody knows that. I never I'm felt glad. hurt or I felt like you loved me. And it was about Justin, I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can to make you into the best man that you can be. Yeah. No matter what you're doing. Yeah. And, that's great. Uh, hey, so, I have a funny I have a funny story that I, I won't share any more about you, but there is one that's hilarious <laughs> when it comes to playing the bass. <clears throat> you had just learned and I you probably know where I'm going, but you had just learned um to play, you know, for the most part. You were learning numbers and you love numbers, which of course I do too. So that like yeah. struck a chord with me. But anyway, you were so passionate and you're always passionate about everything, which I love. You're passionate about the numbers. And you came to me one time, you're like, you're like, man, you're like, I love, I love playing bass. And you said, I love the numbers. And he said, you know what? You said to me, you go, you go, you know what, Brother Hoffie? There is nothing. There's nothing like a good two. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite one on that scale, the number two. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. This guy is eight up with numbers. I love it. Yes. Well, I assure you the restroom was not on my mind at that time. <laughs> I don't know. I just love that progression. Two, three, six, back to two. Right. It's a great progression. I like starting on two. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh man. Only only musicians that know numbers will understand. That's a there's nothing like oh, a two. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, but man. I I enjoyed my time, man, working with you. It was awesome. And to see God in, working in your life and now pastoring, man, it's just incredible to see, you know, our relationship over the years. And I'm thankful for it. Love it. Oh, thank you, Brother Hoffy. I appreciate it so much. All right, <laughs> listeners, at the close of this episode, go and visit joscarschoolofmusic.com, also upcimusic.com. Follow mm-hmm. Brother and Sister Hoffy on all your social media platforms. And uh, man, stay in touch with what God is doing in the music ministry. We love you so much. Thank you, Brother Hoffy. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brother Justin. Have a wonderful day. All right. You too. We'll see you soon. Yeah. God bless. Yeah.